the reading today is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 915 of the Church Bibles. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, be in my mouth and in my speaking. Be in our hearts and in our thinking. Amen. Well, thank you for your warm welcome. It's always a delight to be here, but I have to say, it's a lovely cheer. Thank you. <laughs> Very nurturing. Um, and thank you for all you do here in this part of God's creation here in Seasalter. So we're now into the season of Lent. Any of you got one of these this week? A cross on the forehead, Ash Wednesday. And we hear again, as we do every year, this foundational story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, immediately following his baptism. I think I've got a, a wilderness picture. There we go, a wilderness picture for you. Well, as I said earlier, we don't have this at St. Alfred, so that's <laughs> making the most of it. And there was lots of things that I was thinking about saying. So to help me stay focused this morning, I challenged myself to sum up what I wanted to say in four words. Lent, life, truth, and hope. Lent is from the Old English word lengthen, meaning spring. And it's still one of the church jargon words that resonates in the wider community as people give something up for Lent. Increasingly, these efforts are related to getting healthy, and on the surface, they perhaps don't appear particularly religious, although I would argue that they are connecting with the inbuilt spiritual yearning for life, life in all its fullness, that is part of people being created in God's image. So Lent is an opportunity for the church to lead the way in reminding people that abstinence and discipline is not about being boring and a killjoy. They actually lead to increased joy and deeper peace than the world can give. And sometimes that shows itself in increased energy. Lent brings us 
closer to life in all its fullness. That wonderful verse in John 10, 10, where we hear Jesus say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. So Lent is about remembering the practices of self-denial and generosity that lead to life in all its fullness. Now, this is my 44th Lent alive. So, like many of you, I've heard this story a few times. And this time, I was struck with how dangerous the temptations are. We're so used to reading and hearing them, aren't we? That, um, and we often move into symbolism or spiritualizing them quite quickly. But I was led to thinking about them more closely and realizing how deadly um, those temptations are. Firstly, eating stones as bread would be pretty dangerous. And we are much more aware now of the dangers of eating that which does not nourish us, even though many of us still struggle with gluttony and edible temptations. At St. Alfred's Whitstable, we are proud to host an Alcoholics Anonymous weekly meeting, and many of us have first-hand experience of the tragedy of excessive alcohol consumption in our own or a loved one's life. We're also increasingly aware of what we eat being connected or not with life in all its fullness in other parts of the world, and I'll come on to that more in a moment. Secondly, trying to fly from the top of the temple would not end well. Humans are incredible. Athletes, artists, scientists all demonstrate amazing capacities that are being expanded all the time. But fundamentally rejecting creaturely identity as human beings, and not, in this case, a bird, would not bring life, but death. Death by misadventure is one of the most chilling phrases any of us can hear, especially if you're a parent. Of course, we learn through pushing boundaries and risk-taking, but not at the say-so of one who does not wish us to flourish, but to control or trick us, as Jesus experiences here. The final temptation is more subtle, but the most dangerous of all. Worshipping Satan represents turning away from whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable as St. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 8. Worshipping Satan is about choosing death, not life. And for me, this resonates with Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, to call evil that which brings life is so serious that Jesus calls it unforgivable. Which brings us to the third word, truth. 
And of course, interestingly, it's Pilate who gets tangled up in overthinking what is truth, that representative of the empire, the inheritor, if you like, of Pharaoh from the book of the Exodus, when ironically, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life was standing right in front of him, falsely accused by the lies of the religious power holders. In John 8, 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I saw a slightly shorter version of this. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. And while we might want to protest, actually... We know that this is often the case. So often, we would rather not know the truth about things because it challenges us. Growth does not reside in a place called comfortable, as the brilliant youth educator Pip Wilson often says. Learning is essentially about change, as we receive, test, and apply new information. Some of us, of course, find change harder than others. So we may find learning harder than others. And we're all in a different place with that. And it's really important to support each other at whatever pace we need, while also having courage and faith that God's got this. God's got us. This year, the Archbishop of Canterbury, some of you might have heard of, uh, his Lent book is The Wonderful Saying Yes to Life by Dr. Ruth Valerio. And I think I've got a slide of that up there. For have the next slide. There we go. There we go. Um, if you possibly can, and if you haven't already, I'm sure some of you already have, do read this book. I mean, seriously, read it. It's really important. It speaks the truth that we need to hear about our climate, even though this truth is hard to hear. And it's one of the many voices telling the truth about our reality. And it does it in a clear, faith-filled and hope-oriented way. It's completely grounded in the Christian faith. One of the quotes from it, which I'll share with you, is, Too often... The doctrine of creation is divorced from redemption. But as the Kenyan theologian Samson Gittau expresses it, there can be no redemption without creation. The redemption that we anticipate eagerly as we go through Lent is not one that takes us away from creation, but one that will root us more deeply in it as we find there the light and life of God. I'm sure many of you are aware of the decision by the General Synod last week to pursue a goal for the whole Church of England, that includes us as well, to be carbon neutral by 2030. I got the number wrong there. I said 2020 then earlier, and, and pointed out that I'd said the wrong date. No, 2030. 
And in brief, the three key dangers facing God's creation are a heat rise of over one and a half degrees, if we tip over that. Secondly, loss of biodiversity. And thirdly, plastic pollution. And I will touch just very briefly on each of them. If the temperature rises more than one and a half degrees, the consequences would be devastating. Bishop Llewellyn, in the Contemporary Theology Group lecture in January, which you can hear online, used the phrase heat death, which was quite a phrase to, um, had quite an impact to hear that phrase. Water stress, rising sea levels from both the melting ice caps and the expansion of water as it heats, and salination of freshwater sources, all linked to that heat rise, would destabilize huge numbers of people and communities who could no longer grow enough food or have enough water to live, which would in turn lead to mass migration and displacement, and of course, huge suffering. Loss of biodiversity will affect the air that we breathe, the nutrients of our soil, the health of our oceans. And I'm sure that many of you, like me, are enjoying hearing the birdsong now that those mornings are getting lighter, with the robins and the blackbirds singing their hearts out as they mark about their territory and prepare for spring. But 14% of birds are at risk of extinction and overall numbers are plummeting worldwide. In the UK, there are now half as many birds in the countryside as there were 40 years ago. That's my lifetime. If our pollinator numbers continue to decline globally, it will have a huge impact on food production. Many of us will have seen devastating images of the impact of plastic pollution on sea creatures and birds in particular. In the Philippines last year, this is a quote from the book, a dead whale was found to contain 40 kilograms of plastic, including 16 rice sacks and many shopping bags. Plastic never goes away. It breaks down into small particles called microplastics, which are being found in the stomachs of many different animal species and on the beaches the world round. Interestingly, one of your 845 uh, sisters, um, as she left, she was saying, I'm off to a beach clean. She was going down to Hearn Bay. Good day for it, but the last day it was raining, but they still went and did it. So that's one of those resonances that is nearby. Now, several times when I've raised the issue of the environment with people, it happens sometimes, <laughs> I've been met immediately with this response. But other countries are much worse than us at pollution. They should make changes first. What they're doing is not good enough. And it's been I've remarkably often that that is kind of the first thing that people say to me. Well, of course, we all need to be involved. And to encourage you across the world, ordinary people, ordinary churches and other community groups are doing incredible work towards climate justice. And this book is full of examples and signposting, and we're coming close to the fourth word, hope. So hang on to your hats. And some companies and some governments 
are making significant changes. I didn't know, for example, that 11 African countries have banned or placed taxes already on plastic bags, which is brilliant. But the truth is, we all need to do more, and we all need to do it faster if we are to have any chance at averting a catastrophic breakdown in God's creation. And that includes holding our leaders and decision makers to account in all the ways that we can. Because after all, another's sin can never be a justification for us continuing in our own, can it? So what about the final word, hope? Well, as I said, this book is full of hope. It's really inspiring. Each chapter corresponds to one day of the creation story from Genesis 1. And at the end of each, um, it includes an online interview with someone in a particular field of research or leadership around the world. And in every interview, Dr. Ruth Valerio asks the question, what gives you hope? And Archbishop Tabo Magoba of Cape Town in South Africa talks about the hope he sees in the energy and focus of young people who are setting such a good example of commitment to restoring the right balance in our environment. In my own life, it is my nine-year-old daughter who has led the way, helping us to reduce the meat that we eat at home. And over the year to come, I've asked all of my colleagues, including Paulette, to allow your children and young people to form um, a council that their voices can feed into the structural lives of our churches across this parish. And it's a movement that is happening more broadly in the church. If we have eyes to see it and courage to accept it, there is huge hope in the growing energy and awareness across the board in our country, which surely encourages us. Every now and then I get to watch television. I'm sure some of you do too. And I, I've been struck with how many car adverts are all about the electric cars. I'm sure you've perhaps noticed that. There is also huge expertise and creative solutions that could deliver the kind of green revolution that we need in our country, in our industry, our transport, our economy. I know that I'm sure that many of you are involved in these kind of areas in your working lives. And the best of the internet means that we can be more informed and connected in solidarity and prayer with other Christians, with those who are living in ways that brings life in all its fullness to the whole creation to our global neighbours, not just during Lent, but as a permanent change. I wasn't aware, but around a third of the global population adheres to the Christian faith. And Ruth Valerio writes of her hope that the sleeping giant of the church would awake and become active in applying the implications of a creation-wide understanding of the gospel. The gospel, which the word that David used earlier, can be incorporated in the word shalom. 
that well-being, that peace and joy and life that is, yes, for us as individual people, but spreads out into our communities, our whole world and our land. We know also, back to hope, that the gospel ratios are encouraging. In being called to be salt and light, we are reminded that even a small action can have a big impact. And when the church combines these small actions and undergirds everything with prayer in a way that you are leading um, the charge with this, with your shift praying, we know that it can make huge societal change for good. Just one final quote. Therefore, every action we choose to take that looks after this world, even when it's raining, I'm very glad it wasn't raining this morning, I cycled, or too hot, or inconvenient, or maybe more expensive, or not the usual thing to do and makes us look different, shows our wish to live in anticipation of the future that Jesus' death on the cross and the presence of his Holy Spirit guarantees. And we move towards the future glory that God will reveal through his creation. Amen.